Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 109. It's May 13th, 2015. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, today we're going to talk about the stock market and in particular about Wall Street's fears about rising inflation. I'd like to first start out by saying welcome to all of our new listeners and also a special thank you to those of you that have gone over to iTunes and left a rating or a review there. Our top line number, um, I believe we broke 100 this week. So I really appreciate those of you that go over there and make an effort. I know uh, some of you don't have iTunes accounts and you have to sign up for it. I do read all the comments, uh, but more importantly, it really is a way for us to get the word out about the podcast if you want to help grow the community. One way of doing that is by putting a, a rating or a review. In particular, a review is what's really important because people can read your comments and that can sway them one way or another as to whether or not they should try listening to the podcast. People's time is at a premium. There's a lot of horrible content out there. And so if people see your comments, they like what you're saying, then they're going to be more likely to listen to the podcast. I don't have an advertising budget. So for the most part, unless you're out there telling people about it through putting reviews over at the iTunes store or discussing it uh, on your own social media, putting it up on your blog or you know putting it on your Facebook or LinkedIn page, if you're not doing that and telling your friends about it, then the show doesn't grow. Um, but we are growing. We're growing at significant numbers. And that's a testament to the loyalty of the listeners. I really appreciate what you're doing by spreading the word. I'd love to see more people learning about the wealth-steading lifestyle. I think the world would be a better place if people reined in their spending, became more disciplined consumers, and built their wealth by focusing on the things that matter and not the trivial trinkets that we seem to spend so much of our money and our time pursuing. I primarily mention the reviews over at iTunes because iTunes is the, is the big, you know, 900-pound gorilla. They really dominate the industry. I know, though, by looking at the statistics that many of you don't listen via iTunes, you're on Android devices. And if you go out there and put ratings and reviews, I'd appreciate that as well. That's just more of a fragmented platform. It's hard to really get a handle on the best places to put your ratings and reviews. I know we have, you know, for example, just like a couple over at Stitcher, but yet we have, you know, a hundred on iTunes. So for those of you using Stitcher, hey, if you can go over there and write some reviews there, I'd appreciate that as well. But again, whatever you can do, spread the word on social media, I'd appreciate it. Well, let's jump into our main topic. Let's talk about inflation and let's talk about the craziness that continues in the stock market. Throughout 2015, we've seen a very conflicting, very turbulent, very volatile market. Right now, the S&P 500 is just a few points off of its all-time high. But at the same time, Investors Business Daily has the market status as a market in correction. And that's because we've seen so many down days in not only large percentages, percentages in excess of 1%, but also heavy volume in trading on those days when the market's down. That's what Investors Business Daily and investors on Wall Street call distribution days. It's when money's coming out of the market rather than going into the market. Over the past five weeks, we've seen something like, I don't know, seven, eight, maybe nine distribution days in five weeks alone. That's a lot of selling. But at the same time, like I said, the indexes are near all-time highs. That's why it's a very conflicting, convoluted market and why you have to be very careful at times like this. Just last week, we saw intraday trade of the market dropping something like over 2% from peak to trough early in the week. And then by late in the week, the market's closed back up. And then this week, it's been pretty much three down days in the S&P 500. Now, we are slightly above the 50-day moving average uh, today as, of, as I record this on, on Wednesday, May 13th. We saw the S&P bounce off its 50-day moving average yesterday. At the same time, the S&P is a little bit higher off its 50-day moving average than the NASDAQ is. 
The NASDAQ had a very nice run up, but right now it's pretty much sitting right on or just above its 50-day moving average. So the million dollar question is, are these indexes going to bounce off that 50-day? Are they going to collapse and drop down and fall below it? Well, I don't have the answer to that. No one has a crystal ball. No one can look in the future. We can look at a lot of indicators, but right now I'll tell you what, the indicators are very murky. For every one reason that you can decide that the market's going to go up, you can find another reason why the market should go down. And really what's just happening for the most part over the last several months is the market is just moving sideways. It's trading in a range. It'll go up a couple percent, then it'll drop down a couple percent, then it'll go up a couple percent. Now a lot of people, when I talk about swing trading, they think they can make a lot of money in markets like this because you do have the volatility. If you trade right, some days you can make 1% or 2% right off the bat. Then you could sell and you could you know, short the market and make another 2% as it goes down and back and forth. Well, that's more of day trading than swing trading. You know, Day trading, pure day trading, is where you close your positions out at the end of every day. Some people that aren't purists, though, they may keep their positions open for a day or two. But when you're really trying to talk about trading in over a few hours or even a few days, to me, that's more of a day trading than a swing trading. I'm trying to make my money by finding short-term, near-term, and long-term trends where I can buy into a stock or into an index or some type of sector exchange-traded fund. And then over the period of weeks and months, I can see my investments appreciate. And as that trend starts to peter out or as it starts to level out, I would sell that position and move it to another or wait for another opportunity to come along. Now, the reason I focus on that type of trading, that near-term trading where you're talking about weeks and months as opposed to days, is that it gives you more of a margin of error. It allows you to have a better control on risk management. And I've been promising uh, to do another risk management podcast. We'll do that in maybe two episodes from now. I want to talk about selling short and stops and inverse ETFs. We've talked about those in the past, but I want to talk about those again. I've been getting a lot of questions on that that's relevant to the market that we're in. So we'll get around to that maybe in two episodes. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that if you're just day trading, you have a very small margin of error. And particularly when markets are at all-time highs, when we haven't seen a major 20% correction for over four years, when there's a lot going on in the world, from slowdowns in, in China to sovereign debt instability with countries like Greece and others, and then the nebulous and the unknown reactions of all the central banks, you could just see the market pull back very quickly, very abruptly. And if that happens, and you don't pull your money out fast enough, you could suffer a major setback, anything from 5, 10, 15, you know, 30%. I really don't think it's going to drop 30%, but surely even the biggest bull out there can acknowledge that a 5 to, say, 15% pullback is totally natural, and it's something that we can encounter on any given week. So if you're just doing these very short-term trends and you're trying to squeeze a percent or a half a percent of profit out by getting in there and trading for a couple days or a couple weeks, what can happen is, is that instead of you pulling out that 1% or 2% profit, you can see the market collapse below you 7, 8, 9, 10%. And then that really sets you back. So when I talk about risk management, I'm talking about looking at the potential reward and the potential risk. And if we are in a market right now that could easily drop 5%, at the blink of an eye, then you have to factor that in as to how much reward can you get for that risk. Well, I can see scenarios where the market could easily drop 5%. I don't see a lot of scenarios where the market could pop 5%. Now, I could be wrong. I don't have a crystal ball. I'm just looking at indicators, and I can see, sure, the market can go up 1%, 2 3 4% maybe. Certainly, 2 or 3% is, is well within the trend that we've been swinging in. 
But for it to go up 5, 10, 15%, I just don't see that happening between now and say, you know, the end of the summer. But can I see a scenario where the market would drop at least 5% between now and the end of the summer? Absolutely. And so that's why when I talk about risk reward right now, just for the period we're in, I see more of a risk than I do on a positive payback. I don't see as much reward. I'm not looking for even money bets. I try and invest when I think the market is in an uptrend because I know when the market's in an uptrend, 70% or more stocks follow that uptrend. That helps my odds. When the market is just moving sideways or when it's just as likely to go up as it is to go down, I don't want to participate. Remember the old saying, patience is a virtue. So let me just point out one more strange thing about this market and then, we're, and then we'll talk more about the fears of inflation. What we saw in today's action, what we saw in Monday's action, and even to some extent what we saw in Friday's action were all negative reversals. These are where the market either opened up and then closed down or at some point during the day had risen up and gone on to make interday highs and then for whatever reason by the end of the day it pulled back. Now in those three sessions that I mentioned it didn't necessarily pull back exactly to its lowest point for each of those days but it definitely closed in its lower third and I would just quickly looking at the charts pretty much say at least two of those three trading sessions it pretty much closed right at the bottom. That's a bad sign. Whenever the market goes up and then all of a sudden at the end of the day pulls out particularly when that happens in higher volume, that's telling you that the big investors, the institutional investors, they're pulling their money out of the market. That's been something that's been very characteristic that we've seen really since uh, mid-March, and in particular, it's what we've seen since the end of April. So be cautious. Watch for those negative reversals. Now, on to fears of inflation. Here's what's going on on Wall Street right now. There's no doubt that we're in an improving economy. And that shouldn't surprise anybody because we're six years into this recovery. The Federal Reserve has increased their balance sheet some $4 trillion. The government has deficit spent another 8 or $9 trillion on top of that. So you would expect the economy to have improved at this point. We haven't seen the hyperinflation that many people thought we would. And if you go back, I don't know, many episodes ago, I talked about that in a podcast. If you look at the titles, you'll find that probably back four or five months ago. But the bottom line on hyperinflation is, is that most of these trillions of dollars that have been spent over the last six years went to fill in the hole that was dug in the preceding 10 or 15 years. It was basically throwing good money after bad money. And so since that stimulus money didn't go out and buy new commodities, it didn't build new bridges, it didn't hire a bunch of high-tech workers to create some new software program, it didn't eat up raw materials or use a lot of fuel or things like that, we didn't see the inflation occur that a lot of people were looking for. That money simply went back to the banks to help them stabilize their balance sheets, to raise the real estate markets back to its pre-2007 levels. It was just filling in the hole that was dug in the previous decade. Well, now we're at a point, though, where the economy has improved enough to where we're seeing very low unemployment. We continue to see record profits in the stock market due primarily to companies being able to control their costs, to be able to control their bottom lines. A lot of that has to do with the fact of the very cheap money we had and really over the past five years over the really cheap U.S. dollar. That helped our exports. That helped our multinational companies that were operating overseas. And to the extent that there had been any real increase in inflation over the last five years, that did happen in overseas markets, particularly like in emerging markets. So we exported our inflation and then our multinational companies were able to profit from that. Our exporting companies, companies like Caterpillar, 
they were able to sell more heavy equipment for farming, for mining, things of that nature that were driven by that initial inflation that we saw in 2010, 11, and 12. I'm not talking about a U.S. inflation, but a global inflation where we had big spikes in commodity prices. You remember the price of gold in 2011, with that, how high that was. For much of that time, oil was at or near $100 a barrel. Brent crude was $120. So that created a large market for heavy equipment. Companies like Caterpillar profited from that. Companies like Boeing have profited over the last six or seven years because of the ability of them to be able to export their jets, again, as a result not only of the superior U.S. technology, but also because our dollar has been comparatively low compared to the euro. And there was a lot of cheap money that was financing these smaller emerging countries, allowing them to buy fleets of aircraft. That's why we saw Boeing stock appreciate so, so much from like 2009 till even just as early as this year. Well, the brakes went on a lot of that growth in the past six months because the U.S. dollar had, had risen so significantly, particularly against the euro. That was at the same time that we saw oil prices come down over 50%. Well, in the last six weeks or so, we've seen that reverse. The dollar has depreciated in value. It's come down, I don't know, 6 or 7%. Oil prices have gone up. We were consistently, at, you know, right around $45 a barrel. Now we're over 60 These big variations in commodity prices are a problem for Wall Street because investors like stability. They're okay if they know we're in an increase or a decrease as long as they can kind of project what it is. It's when things swing so much from day to day that they get concerned because it just multiplies the factor of uncertainty. With oil prices now high, um, at or above $60 a barrel, with the unemployment rate so low, you know, down around 5 point whatever percent, we're seeing at least a slight increase in, in hourly pay. If you dig into the numbers, it's hard to say what you'd really feel. People with a political agenda one way or the other trying to advance their agenda by, by pointing things out. But the bottom line there is there are more people working and there's more absolute dollars being spent on payroll. Whether that increase is going to individuals or whether it's just being spread out over a larger amount of people, you can debate that all day. But the bottom line is corporations don't care about that. Corporations just care about their bottom line payroll. And right now it appears that their cost of labor is going up. That's a negative to profits. Over the last six weeks, the cost of oil has gone up. Well, that's a negative to their profits. While the U.S. dollar has recovered, it really hasn't recovered significantly. So that really isn't a plus to the multinationals. Incidentally, it has been a negative to the, some of the exporting markets. Germany has had some really challenging weeks. They were down at least 1% today. So we are seeing the impact of the U.S. dollar on those markets. And then as a result of all these things, investors are worried about inflation. And so they're less likely to put their money into long-term fixed bonds like the 10-year, the 30-year treasury. Consequently, you're seeing the yields on those debt instruments rise. If you remember in this podcast just a few weeks ago, I was talking about the fact that we kept seeing the 10-year treasury rate dropping, uh, you know, well below two. It was going down to 1.9, 1.7% interest. Those were very low interest rates given how good the economy was supposedly doing. I mean, if you're in a growing, expanding, healthy economy, then the cost of money is not near zero, right? You would expect to be getting a four, five, six percent return by tying your money up for 10 years. And you can argue that, but certainly you could say we well, had expected to be getting at least a three or four or five percent return. Well, here we are. We weren't even able to get a two percent return. That was just a few weeks or months ago. Well, in the past week, interest rates have really crept up. Today, the 10-year treasury is at 2.28%. Remember, money is fungible. 
And so when rates go up in one country, they tend to go up in other countries because money money's fungible. It can be moved around. Because interest rates had been so low in Europe, we did see a lot of that money come into the United States, particularly as the U.S. dollar was going up. Because even if we thought that interest rates in the U.S. were comparatively low or historically low, uh, or even if we thought that the market was at, you know way overextended in all-time highs, as long as the dollar was going up, it was still a good deal for European money. Because even if the market didn't go up any higher, or even if interest rates were only paying 1.9%, the fact that the value of the dollar was going up every day, when they converted their money back into euros, they were still making more money. Well, that's starting to shift around now. The dollar is stabilizing. Interest rates are rising globally. All these things are putting pressure on corporate profits. And the big two that I want to point out to you are one, labor costs, and two, the cost of money. The cost of money is measured by interest rates. Every time interest rates go up, that means that corporations have to pay more to borrow money. So when their employees cost more, and then when they have to pay more in interest rates, that's a big hit to their bottom line, and that's been what has been so stable or declining over the past six or seven years. Well, if the cost of money continues to go up, and if wages continue to go up, the only way corporate profits can continue to rise is if they increase prices. And in this market, it doesn't look like that's realistic. You see, consumers haven't been willing to go out and spend. You're not seeing consumers really open up their wallet, even when you would think maybe they would because they have more money in their pocket because of the lower price in gasoline. And, and even though oil has gone up right now, we're saying it's about $60 a barrel. Well, you know, last summer, last June, I believe, we were seeing oil at a, at over $100, $110 a barrel. So even at $60, the consumer is saving quite a bit. I think I saw the other day the average price of gasoline a year ago was like $3.28 at the pump, and today it's $2.28. So the consumer is saving at least a dollar a gallon. That's a significant amount of money. Now, we are seeing consumers spend more. It isn't like they're saving all that. They're, they're spending more on fast food restaurants and some impulse buys. They are using more gasoline because the fuel's cheaper. So we are seeing an increase there, but we're not seeing as much of a multiplier as people were expecting. And we believe that's happening is because consumers have been so laden with debt that they were taking some of this money and they're paying down their debt and they're increasing their savings rate. Now, while that's really good for consumers, that's not necessarily good for a consumer-driven economy. And so if corporations now are looking at higher costs because of labor costs and a higher cost of money because higher interest rates, and if they're not able to pass that along by raising prices to consumers and it doesn't look like they can, then corporate profits will suffer. And what happens when corporate profits suffer? Well, that means most likely that the stock market will pull back because at the end of the day, the only thing that ultimately matters in the stock market is earnings expectations. Every price on every equity is based on what someone thinks the future value would be. And if profits go down, that means future value will go down, and the correction for that would be lower stock prices. So that could be one of the reasons why you see so much turbulence and instability and so much back and forth in the market every day. Now, another sign of this fear of inflation has been the rise in gold prices. Gold has really struggled to get above $1,200 an ounce. That was especially true all through last year as we saw the U.S. dollar rising. Remember, as the dollar rises, then the price of gold generally comes down. Well, just this week, we've seen a big increase in the price of gold. It broke out above not only its 10-day, but also its 50-day moving average. It's only slightly below its 200-day moving average. There's been a lot of volume traded lately. A lot of people are, are really bullish on gold. They've been waiting on gold to rise. 
I personally don't see that happening. I wouldn't encourage anybody to jump into gold right now. In fact, if you know me, I've been pessimistic on gold lately. I've said that gold is way above its historical value based on inflation. It's also significantly above where it should be based on its historical multiplier with oil. From an inflation standpoint, I think gold should be trading at something like $660 an ounce. I have, an, I have a blog post, an article on that over at my firm's website, investablewealth.com. If you go over there and, and search on gold, you'll find a, a couple articles on gold. I believe 660 is about where gold should be in terms of true inflation. And then again, his, gold's historical relationship and correlation with oil well, with oil at $60 a barrel, you would expect gold to be trading somewhere around $900 an ounce, not $1,200 an ounce. Again, if you go over to investablewealth.com, you can find some of the blog posts on that. That'll explain my rationale. But in any case, gold has done extremely well in the last few days. That's because investors, Wall Street, they're worried about inflation. Now, I'm going to give you my personal take on this. I don't think that gold prices can stand up much above $1,200 an ounce, nor do I think that oil can stand above $60 a barrel. I think the pendulum on oil prices got a little bit too low, and then as it tried to correct, well, it swung too much the other way. $60 a barrel to me seems like a very high price to pay when you consider the oversupply we have in oil, which is continuing despite the shutdown in the, in the rigs and things, primarily in the United States. We still have OPEC with the spigots wide open. Saudi Arabia is pumping out at all-time highs would have even more oil on the marketplace if, if countries like Libya and Yemen weren't struggling with wars and rebels and things like that. Russia is still pumping at all-time highs despite sanctions and things on their oil. Even though we've seen a lot of rigs shut down in the United States, we still see that the, the wells that are operational are pumping at full capacity. What you have to remember about these rigs, even if they shut them down, the capital investment, the billions of dollars of investments have been made over the last five years to drill these wells. And so even if they're not profitable, they're going to keep a lot of those wells operational just so that they have the cash flow to pay the interest on their loans because they don't want to default. So they'd rather at least make an interest payment even if they don't make a principal payment. It's the same thing that a consumer would do if they got behind in their mortgage payment, right? They're at least giving the bank something. They'll say, hey, I'll at least pay you the interest. Let my principal accumulate. I'll pay that off. I'll pay that down when I, when I get reemployed, when things are better for me. These oil wells are operating on the same premise and don't think that they're all losing money either. At $60 a barrel, they can be very profitable. That's why if oil stays at this level any length of time, you're going to see these rigs that shut down come back online. That's going to be a natural cap and a ceiling on how high the oil price can go. That's why I think you're going to see sub $60 oil. I don't know if we're going to get down to $20 or $30, but I would not be at all surprised to see us get back down to $45 a barrel. No matter how you look at it, there is a global oversupply in oil, and it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. Even with all the stimulus, we're seeing the third round of lower interest rates and government stimulus in China. And China came out just this week and said, hey, we're not even going to make our 7% growth rate. We're going to be somewhere sub 7% growth. This is on an economy that just, you know, three years ago was growing at 12 or 13%, 14%. Now they can't even hit 7% with oil prices, half of what they were, with a strong dollar that helps their exports. And with the crazy amount of government stimulus and manipulation of the Chinese interest rates and real estate market, and they still can't grow. So there's a real problem there. Again, that's why you're seeing turbulence and uncertainty in the stock market. So to sum all this up, 
We have been and we remain in very uncertain times. We don't know what the Federal Reserve is going to do with their interest rates. We see interest rates around the world rising. We don't know what impact that's going to have on things like home purchases and household formation is the biggest driver to any consumer economy. I don't think oil prices have stabilized yet. There's a lot of concern on Wall Street that corporate profits, and these are all the way from the big multinationals all the way down to the small companies as well, and perhaps maybe the fears a little bit more in the bigger blue chip multinational companies that they're going to have more of a, a profit slowdown, but you can rest assured that that will trickle down throughout the economy if it happens. And the uncertainty is, is that we don't know if it's going to happen. Maybe everything is going to work out perfectly. Maybe we're going to have a very soft landing. If you look back just a few years ago, in 2013, we had interest rates on the 10-year treasury that were at 3%. You go back to 2011, we had interest rates that were 3.5%. So surely, I would argue that if today's economy is healthy, we can easily support 3.5% interest rates again today. But the problem with that logic is, is that the market is only giving us an interest rate of 2.28 or 2.25%. We're significantly off of where you would think a healthy economy's interest rates should be. How much of that is solely manipulation of the Federal Reserve or other central banks? Or how much of it is concern from investors that this economy is very unstable? These are the questions that none of us can answer. So what we do in periods like this, we keep our powder dry. We sit and we wait for the right opportunity. We continue every day to study and look for opportunities in the market. And then when we see the definite trend building, whether it's up or whether it's down, we can act accordingly and either invest in long-term trades or sell things short or use inverse ETFs to take advantage of a downtrend. But right now, with the market up 1% one day and down 1% the next day, you just don't see a defined trend. So keep doing your homework, be diligent, be watchful, be very patient, keep your money close at hand, and be ready to pull the trigger when the trend materializes. And I promise I'll be here to give you my commentary and my thoughts as we wait on the next opportunity to unfold. Well, if you have comments or questions for me, you can get in touch with me at the website, which is wealthsteading.com. In our next episode, I want to talk to you about a 112-hour work week. And you may be saying, what? 112 hours? Who works 112 hours a week? Well, come back to the next episode and you'll find out who and why. Until then, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.